you so much for doing this with me. Oh, yeah. This is My fun. pleasure. Well, and I was thinking about it as we were driving here. I think we just before I pressed record had more of a conversation than we've ever had before. <laughs> I was like, I don't think we actually have much history. We don't. I mean, I was in classes with your husband, mm -hmm. but otherwise we just kind of ran into each other at the mm -hmm. mailbox. Yeah. That's really That's our background. It. Yeah. So for those listening, Lindsay and I lived at um, on campus at Denver Seminary at the same time mm -hmm. for several years, I think. Two A while. I don't yeah, know. a while. Um, and her husband and I were both in some apologetics classes at the same time. Yeah. And then you ended up getting your MA in apologetics from Denver Seminary, correct? Yes. Did you start? What year did you start? 2016. Okay. January 2016. Okay. And graduated in? <laughs> um, May 2019. Is that right? May 2019, I think. Probably. Sure. I'm not going to argue you. <laughs> Google Lindsay if you want to know if that's Google. correct or not. <laughs> oh, what have you been up to since? Yeah. So I am currently executive director of Mama Bear Apologetics, which is a ministry that reaches out to moms and dads and grandparents. We've got pretty much everyone and single people, believe it or not, who have children in their lives mm -hmm. to help them teach their kids why Christianity is true. And and really that is the heart of our ministry. Mm -hmm. And so I specialize in world religion and I have specialized in world religion really since my project, my final project at seminary was actually a series of articles that I wrote about world religions and um, that kind of led into what I do here at Mama Bear, which is teach our people all about other world religions mm -hmm. and why we can know that Christianity is true, even though there are thousands of other worldviews um, that are sort of competing uh, with Christianity. Um, other than that, I am a full-time children's pastor, mm -hmm. which has been really fun and kind of crazy. Uh, we were joking before we started hitting record and whether or not I even like other people's kids. And it turns out <laughs> I do. I love other people's kids. It was just not something on my radar before. Mm -hmm. um, even at seminary, I never really thought that I would do ministry in this way. Uh, seminary was really, uh, A, it was 50% off because Jay was a student. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, that's great. I should go get another degree. And then B, it was... I should go get a degree that will help me understand Jay when he's talking about this thing called apologetics. Talk about wife <laughs> devotion. I'm like, this is me. Um, can you call a friend <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah, it was really one of those moments where I realized our marriage could benefit from me learning some of this stuff so that if we were sitting at the dinner table and he was talking about the cosmological argument, for example, I would understand what he was talking mm -hmm. about. And, um, and that sort of, I never imagined I would ever do ministry with it. I just thought I would be learning for myself and my own personal growth. Mm -hmm. um, and I have grown personally since studying apologetics, but really it was so I could understand Jay a hundred percent. And yet it's really changed the direction that you've taken in your life. The whole direction is, is God has really thrown, he keeps throwing curveballs. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah, I was a lawyer and then. I got pregnant with our, our first child, and and I realized I didn't want to work the crazy hours that lawyers work. And, and so I sort of dropped the lawyering 
pretty early on after we had Thalia. And I never thought I would get any other degree. And I was just kind of happy being a stay-at-home mom. And, and I loved that role. And, and God let me be in that role for so many years. Um, but when Jay started seminary, that really opened my mind to what the possibilities could be for just our marriage and understanding him and, and growing with him in his ministry. Um, and ironically, like right now, I'm the one who's really doing um, the apologetic stuff. He will be on podcasts and stuff, but he's so focused on his PhD that uh, there's not much ministry coming from him right now. And and it's it's been fun to kind of see how God is working mm-hmm. in our lives and, and using us both, but in in different ways than we would have imagined four, four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. And I mean, you're open to it and that's, yeah, we that's learned cute. very early on. I think 18 years ago, we, we learned very on that our plans are not necessarily God's plans. Mm-hmm. And um, we had better just go along with what God wants us mm-hmm. to do, because if we don't, eventually we're going to end up on that path anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's just easier if we go with the flow with him at the outset, rather than trying to make mm-hmm. up for those mistakes. Yeah. Uh, later on. Yeah. Well, and you just had a book come out. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, I wrote a chapter in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Harvest House has um, a new world religion book. And anybody who's in world religion is really excited because very few world religion books have come out in the last decade. Mm-hmm. I think when I was studying um, in seminary, I always struggled because most of the books were dated 1980s, 1970s, 1990s. Mm. There are very few new world religion mm. texts that have come out in, in the last decade or two even. And things do change. And things change. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you're thinking the development of new religious movements, I just wrote an article for the Christian Research Journal with a religion that came out in 92. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily in a world religion book that was written. It's not in the 80s. Right. And so if you want to learn about that religion, you have to kind of find other ways to learn. And so I'm really excited. Um, it's a popular handbook of world religion. And it's a great group of people who are experts in what they write on. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great read. I've read the entire thing cover to cover. And it's an, it's an excellent book. There's actually a section at the end that interviews people who have come from other worldviews and mm-hmm. talks about how they transitioned from um, not being a Christian into becoming a Christian. And so it's, it's, it's a great addition um, that might be lacking from other texts about world religion. That's a really cool addition. Yes. I love that. Daniel, our editor, was brilliant in seeking that out. I wrote the chapter for the Jehovah's Witnesses, mm-hmm. and the interview at the end is actually with a woman, a friend of mine. Her name is Cynthia, and she came out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And so she shares her testimony, and it's just so wonderful to see how God has moved in their lives and mm-hmm. stayed with them from their transition from these new religious movements or cults or um, other worldviews into Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, did you say there's an interview from each of the religions? Most of them have um, interviews that are connected with them. So it, oh, that's really it's cool. really it's really beautiful. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you saying that it's not your book. Not but, my book. But that tends to happen. You know, like in my mind, it's yours and Dr. Grotice's book yep. because you're the two I know directly who are in it. 
But yes, in all fairness, a lot of wonderful people. Yeah, Win Cordwin, um, Winifred Cordwin, he is, um, he wrote another book called Neighboring Faiths, which is probably the mm-hmm. most recent world religion book that I would use. He, he just came out with a new edition, I think, recently. Um, but he's the guy when mm-hmm. it comes to Hinduism and Bo- Eastern religions, really, Buddhism, yeah. um, other types of Eastern religions. And so he wrote several of those chapters with Daniel McCoy, our general editor. Uh, and it's, I mean, there's just other brilliant minds that contributed. Mm-hmm. So please buy the book, but know that like, I'm not making any money off it. I just really <laughs> want the text to be in people's hands. Mm-hmm. And because I just think it's worthwhile to get an updated world religion book in the hands of the people. Yes, absolutely. It's a great resource. And not only for us to understand ourselves, but of course, then for us to be able to engage other people. Correct. And do so well and mm. in an informed manner. So I will link that in the show notes Perfect. for people so they can find it easily. Our conversation topic today is apologetics. What am I apologizing for? <laughs> oh, so, man. <laughs> so yes. this is going to be Really, it's like an apologetics 101 intro conversation Mm -hmm. for people who were like me on my first day at seminary who did not have a real Christian background, who did not come from a Christian undergrad and walked in and was like, apologetics and ethics. I mean, I know what ethics are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've studied that in my first master's, but I don't know what this apologetics thing is. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, it really is an unfortunate word choice for our culture because it's just very misleading and confusing for people. So... Would you please kick us off by saying, by answering, what is apologetics? Yes. And as a former lawyer, this this should be an answer that is is fairly simple for me. Um, but I don't get to answer that easy question mm-hmm. so often. And it, and it makes me excited to kind of dip my toes back into Apologetics 101. Because like you, I didn't really know apologetics when I went to seminary. I was raised in a Christian home, but we didn't really do apologetics. And, and so... There was a really steep learning curve for me at mm-hmm. seminary, and apologetics is a scary word. It is very misunderstood because in our society, we are thinking about apologizing when we hear apology as the first part of it. Mm-hmm. And a big question I get is, what are you apologizing for? You should be proud to be a Christian. <laughs> like, uh, yes, it's exactly why I do apologetics <laughs> is because I know Christianity to be true. So apologetics in a nutshell is defending your faith. And I think part of the problem is, is that a lot of people think that it's only in Christianity that there's apologetics. And and that is incorrect. There are apologists in the Latter-day Saints, for example. And there's a whole group of them that work at BYU. And they work on trying to defend the Latter-day Saints faith. And um, I guess if you're thinking about Christian apologetics and, and what we're doing is we are taking philosophy and archaeology and history and all of these different psychology, all of these different types of studies, mm-hmm. and we're trying to determine if what is in the Bible is accurate and true. And, and so there, there's, a, for example, evidential apologetics. Evidential apologetics takes a look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and says, all right, can we believe the Bible? And is it possible that these things happened? And a lot of times what will happen is they will take the Bible and the text that's in the Bible and compare it to other historical sources and say, okay, yes, that's true. If you're thinking of big named evidential apologists, so J. Werner Wallace is one of those. He wrote um, Cold Case Christianity. 
Um, I'm a huge fan of him. <laughs> so, so Jim is a cold case detective, and um, he is on shows like 2020 mm-hmm. and, and talks about how, you know, he finds, solves these murders that are 30, 40, 50 years old. Mm-hmm. And he was an atheist and wanted to figure out if Christianity was true, so he tackled it like a detective. And if you haven't seen cold, like if you haven't read Cold Case Christianity, it's great because his drawings are in it, mm-hmm. and they are such detective-like drawings. And I I love to use those as illustrations with people because he really does walk through like, okay, this guy said he saw something, he saw Jesus, but is that possible that he actually saw Jesus, or was he hallucinating? And he'll walk through the evidence that's portrayed in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and help us determine whether or not what's written in Scripture is true. So that's really what apologetics is, is trying to show that Christianity is true by using evidence and other things like history and um, defending the faith once we know it's true. So how can we give an answer for the hope within us? That's <laughs> apologetics 101 right there, First Peter 3.15. Uh, and, and so giving a defense for what you believe. Think of yourself as a lawyer. Um, and if you are interviewing a, a person on the stand and you're asking them questions and you're trying to lead them in direction, that person is then saying, okay, this is why I think what I say, I'm saying is true. Mm-hmm. And so you're just really trying to be that defendant, I guess, and defending yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, thankfully, Christianity um, is true. And, and I think a lot of Christians sometimes get this feeling like they're scared to investigate the truth claims of Christianity because they're afraid that it's it's not going to be true. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that many people have been doing this for for years and years, and and it is true. And so I I I want people to understand that doing apologetics isn't going to inhibit your faith in any way. In anything, it'll develop your faith and grow your faith, so that when you have moments of doubt, you can fall back and say, Oh wait. I already investigated the truth claims mm-hmm. of Christianity. I know it to be true. My emotions are lying to me, mm-hmm. and I can counter that with what I know to be true. Yes. And it makes me think of what I was told growing up, and I have to be a little careful here because we could totally rabbit trail together, <laughs> but I was raised being told that I could become so educated that I'm essentially uneducated in the things that really matter. Yes. And that I could become so educated that I would leave the faith. Mm. And that was the fear. Like people who go on and they get these higher education degrees and they become, you know, career oriented and, and whatnot, all of a sudden they're leaving the faith that they were raised in. And it's because they kind of became too smart for their own good. Mm. Now, that is valid in a cult upbringing, which mm-hmm. is what I had. <laughs> and it's I, very common in mm-hmm, cults for yes. for people to not get education yes. um, because of that very thing. Right. And it's and it's a legitimate fear because mm-hmm. if you start to investigate the theology of a cult, you will find out that it's untrue. Mm-hmm. So it's valid. Um, when I look at people like Jay Warner Wallace and Lee Strobel, mm-hmm. who was an atheist as well, came at it from a journalist angle, and you see people like this, like these two incredible examples, they didn't mean to defend Christianity. Right. I mean, Lee Strobel was like adamantly trying to He was to just do mad that. his wife became a Christian, right? So like he's yeah. just trying to he's like, bring her back. Yes, he was not trying to defend Christianity. Mm-hmm. So when Lindsay's talking about defending Christianity and using apologetics, people have stepped into the apologetics area 
trying to do the opposite mm. and have wound up finding that Christianity mm-hmm. was beyond a reasonable doubt mm-hmm. true. Correct. Look at you use lawyer language. <laughs> There's a funny story about me and lawyer, um, but I was told I should be one, and I was like, no, no. I'm not going to. My brother did that instead. Uh, so where does this word actually come from? So we've talked about how the word can be misleading and confusing mm-hmm. to just day-to-day population. Mm-hmm. Where does it come from? Well, let's confuse people more. Okay. <laughs> um, apologia is a Greek word, and it means um, to give a defense. And it is in the Bible. It's in 1 Peter 3.15, which we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is uh, pretty clear in Scripture, the context in First in 1 Peter 3.15, uh, why it's there. It's in, in that instance, it's to give a defense um, for the hope within you. So as Christians, the hope within us is... Um, uh, that we are saved by um, Jesus coming and dying and being resurrected um, and saving us from our sins. That's that's really the hope within us. And then eternity, we will send, spend eternity with God. Um, how can we give a defense for that? Is really where um, apologia comes mm-hmm. comes into the fold. I don't like like using the, that language. Apologetics is such a. I really do try to avoid it. In, in normal conversation, mm-hmm. just because I don't want people to make assumptions based on the word. And apologia doesn't make it any better because now I'm talking Greek. I'm literally speaking, that's Greek to me, right? So I'm literally speaking Greek to you and telling you you should defend your faith. And, and so I like to just boil it down. What do I do? Oh, I talk about Christianity and why it's true. That's the easiest way to define apologetics. If you're mm-hmm. if you're talking about it to a normal everyday person, that's the way you should talk about apologetics. Um, I also think apologists have a bit of a bad rap, and um, and so there's some tension that comes with the word apologetics. Um, a lot of that is because of Twitter and 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 the Twitter world. And I'm not afraid. To, I'm on Twitter. Um, but I don't think I'm your average Christian apologist on Twitter. There are several amazing Christian apologists on Twitter who engage kindly with atheists. Um, but also on Twitter are debates that are not so kind. Mm-hmm. And and those really give a bad rap to what apologists are trying to do or should be trying to do. So often we will leave the last half of 1 Peter 3.15 off and we will not do it with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it tells us to give a defense with gentleness and respect. And if, if we're leaving that off, then we're not doing what scripture has called us to do. Mm-hmm. And so part of my ministry and, and what I try to do when I'm talking about apologetics and defending the faith is to remember that the people that we are talking with are humans mm-hmm. and they are made in the image of God and they have yet to know the hope that God has for them. And and if we don't reach them with kindness, their life could hang in the balance. Um, their eternal life could hang in the balance. And that's that's not to add pressure to people when they're when they're speaking with others, but it is, it adds that layer of what is the purpose behind what we're doing. It's this real person with this real story and potentially this real damage that has been done. And how can we show them that what they know may not be true about Christianity and that there there is hope, but also there is great love and great joy and um, peace that comes with being a Christian. Mm-hmm. Not an easy life all the time. No. Um, I'm not I'm not talking no. prosperity gospel here, but I am saying that um, 
God gives us this, this beautiful image of, of what we can expect when we, we come to him and just say, mm-hmm. I can't do all of this. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you walk alongside me? And, and he willingly does. And apologetics is, is a, is an avenue that can reach people that may not be reached. Um, I mean, my husband, Jay, became a Christian because of apologetics. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I will be forever grateful for those who have been willing to defend their faith with him mm-hmm. so that he could be led in the right direction and see that Christianity is true. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting how different people end up overlapping or coming into contact with apologetics. My husband came to Christ at 17, and it was because someone offered to wash his feet. It was very much wow. this gesture of love. I mm. mean, it's it's a youth group. He was showing up and he's saying, God, like, if you're real and this is a real thing, I want to know. Like, show me somehow. And so mm. he, he went a few times and he's like, I just, I don't know. And he's still, uh, he wouldn't mind me sharing this. He's still going home and then, you know, doing drugs right. and like, living that lifestyle. And then showing back up and just very much kind of a, not necessarily a double life because he wasn't faking anything, but just unsure. Mm. And he said, you know, he's got some gnarly feet. I mean, the kid has never seen nail covers, you know, his fingers handled. I don't know, Jay played hockey, so so he's got some feet too. I'm like, okay, layers on layers of scales. So they're just nasty feet. And (laughs) this kid, this other 17, 18-year-old from across the room was jumped up and like, Michael, I'm going to wash your feet. And it just wrecked him. Mm. The gesture of love Mm -hmm. and kindness, Mm -hmm. just because he's like, what is this even about? Why is Mm -hmm. anyone washing anyone's feet? And to have someone pinpoint him really he felt that God was real in that Mm -hmm. moment that is how God made himself known Mm -hmm. to him and I've been asked so many times how do I when did I really come to Christ or when did I really know because I know when I was baptized and that was like 20 I think I was 27 um, but as far as how I knew that God was real because Mm -hmm. my deal was I knew God was real but I didn't really know who he was. So I never really doubted his existence. I had an inaccurate perception of who he was. Yes. But my perception was still, it's even more nuanced than that, because my perception was still um, kind of contradictory. Mm-hmm. I had two different experiences. I had the knowledge of what I was told about God, but then I had my experience of God. Yeah. And I felt... God's love and peace at very key times in my life, where I, at 21, when my dad died, still fully being in the cult, never mm-hmm. never considering that it wasn't true, actually told my siblings, we have to be able to separate out who God is and who our dad is, because our dad was very abusive. Mm-hmm. So I was like, God can't be this very abusive person or this very abusive being because I have felt his unconditional love and kindness. I have felt it surrounding me. So it was interesting. Like I knew something was off, but I just couldn't put it all together. So I had more of this fondness towards maybe the idea of Jesus or the Holy Spirit, but not of Father God. So it was all kind of messy. But I I always knew that there was something at least in addition to what mm-hmm. I had been told mm-hmm. because I had felt something so different. What are the things that... I think is really important to nuance here is that it's not just an intellectual practice. Mm -hmm. Apologetics is more than just intellect and getting knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's observing the beauty around you. It's knowing that God exists because the mountains exist. And because, I mean, Dr. Grotheis talks about all, this all the time. I mean, he finds apologetics in art mm-hmm. and um, really has grasped onto that idea like art can be used as an apologetic for God. And I think that apologetics, because it's such a heavy word, can can mean for some people that they're not smart enough to do the work. That's not true. I think the kid who washed Michael's feet was doing apologetics. Mm-hmm. And and it was it was the beauty of having another human see Michael and say, Christ did this for his disciples. I'm going to do this for you. I so believe in what Jesus did for his disciples by washing their feet that I am going to do it for you. And I think that that was an apologetic for Michael. So it may not be apologetics in the classical sense of all of this knowledge, but it 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 was for Michael mm-hmm. um, in, in that it brought the beauty of Christ into his life when it hadn't been able to be there before. Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And I... I want to add this on and talk with you a little bit about just dialogue a bit about Mm -hmm. this aspect. So for me personally, having that emotional experience, Mm -hmm. and I know Michael had some similar experiences that he's going to share at some point, but speaking from my perspective right now, recognizing God for me in nature and being very drawn to the outdoors. It was a part of why I fell in love with Colorado, just the mountains and and the beauty of course. Mm -hmm. And I then, without the intellectual component, veered off towards new age practices. Yes. And that's where the intellectual part becomes Mm -hmm. so important because without that, I was getting into Reiki and tarot cards and animal cards and all of a sudden had all this demonic activity going Mm -hmm. on and all sorts of things happening. Now, I still had from my background thinking my dad was a prophet of God Mm -hmm. and so heralding Jesus's final coming. And so I'm also trying to reconnect with him Mm -hmm. through different means and my mom to get wisdom from them. So, I mean, I had that additional aspect, but the general idea of, okay, I I experience God through art or beauty or this other form of apologetic, but I don't then go and pursue the intellectual aspect can put me in this huge danger zone. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to just camp out here for a minute yeah. and talk with you about that. Yeah. So I think there's validity in that. And I always struggle with people who say, oh, I don't go to church I go hike in the mountains and that's where I find God. And I never really, I love the mountains. Um, I, I hiking, eh, get me a cabin <laughs> with a cup of coffee and, um, I'm good. Um, but hiking is fine. I will hike with my best friend Heather anytime, but I, I just, I'm not a big hiker. Anyway, all that to say, I've always struggled with this idea of go like reject going, not going to church and then saying, I'm just going to go into nature and, 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 and that's, dabbling in pantheism and other new age aspects that um, you're only finding God in nature. So what about when you're at home? God is everywhere. And I think the new age kind of (laughs) muddies that a little bit because God is in in the new age world, God is everywhere and in everyone um, and everyone is God. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be very careful when 
we're talking about finding God in nature. So what that means is a differentiation between general revelation and specific or special revelation. Mm -hmm. So general revelation is, is, is what we've talked about going into the mountains and and you can sign, you can see God. Um, and, and Paul talks about that and and it's, it's a biblical thing. Um, but like you said, it's not enough for everyone and, and you need more. I think that's why we got special revelation with Jesus and the Bible. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not God and I can't like read his mind about why we have the Bible and why I, I understand it intellectually. I just, um, he knew that we were going to need something more than the oceans, mm-hmm. you know, the vast expanse of the oceans or the height of the mountains or the depth of the canyons. And, and so I think he provided us with that general revelation so that we would have this general knowledge of him, mm-hmm. that something bigger than us exists and something we can't understand, something that's clearly not man-made. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives us this natural pull toward finding him, but may not necessarily send us over the edge to get him. Mm-hmm. Whereas we've got this special revelation in, in the Bible that leads us closer to him. And then we've got people he uses specifically to bring us his word and bring us his truth, you know, whether that's a pastor at the pulpit or it's a person you're sitting next to on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And God will use people as we become um, more aware of him because he'll find us in our circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found that to be true more and more that I have conversations with people from other worldviews is that they weren't expecting him to show up. And then he did whether that was in a, in a recent conversation or they were, you know, in a class, you know. And and so I truly believe that he can use our imagination, he can use our um, intellectual side, and he can use our love of the earth and its beauty and all that he's created mm-hmm. to draw us closer to him. And um, for me, it wasn't necessarily the intellectual side of things. Um, I, I mean, I was raised in a very, um, I'm going to be, I'm emotional about my, my faith and, and I am, I've never not been a Christian. Mm -hmm. I've been a Christian since I was five. So my, my storyline as a Christian is, you know, 35 years and going, Mm -hmm. um, I'm nearly 40. And I think that it's important to know that those conversion stories can be just as valid. I I had an emotional experience and and became a Christian and like Jay, I had, you know, he had to read books and watch mm-hmm. debates and, and really get into the nitty gritty of how can I know what the Bible says is true? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't just enough. He wasn't having an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. That's not Jay. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have an emotional experience about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you give him some books to read um, and he can learn about it, he will. And so I think that's a beautiful thing to, to think about when we're talking about God meeting us where we are. He will use people and places and things Mm -hmm. to show us um, himself Mm -hmm. and to reveal himself to us. But if we haven't safeguarded ourselves Mm -hmm. from what you, what new age, new age beliefs or other worldviews, it is easy to go down a path that is not biblical, which is why it's so important. And one of the top things I will say when I'm speaking somewhere is you need to know the word. You need to be reading the Bible and know what is true. Um, Jim Wallace will say things. Um, so he talks about um, 
FBI agents um, looking for fake money and how when they do that, they don't study fake money. They study real money. So they just look at real, real money all the time. It's all the time on their desk, real money, real money, real money. So that way, when fake money comes on their desk, they can spot it immediately. Mm -hmm. So one of the most important things that Christians can do is read the word and know what is true and what is truly found in scripture so that when something fake comes along, they can reject it outright and say, that is not scriptural. I reject it and I'm going to move forward without it in my life. Uh, but if we're not reading the word and we're not studying um, and we're not raising up our faith in that way, um, we are more likely to fall for things that are not true, which I think is culturally speaking pretty relevant. There are a lot of Christians who are falling for some things that aren't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. My husband and I ultimately almost wound up in an unhealthy religious situation with the two of us. So he and I both, not neither of us really knowing Christianity intellectually, mm-hmm. trying to figure it out and just read the Bible and figure it out and not even having a study Bible, which oh. is really important and helpful to have. Was I didn't know what that King was. James? Was it King time. James or were you using like a version you could actually understand? Um, well, I was raised that King James was the only version. Of so of course it was King James. Um, and we were in, I mean, we were in a non-denominational church, huge church in the mm-hmm. area. Um, there were like seven to 800 young adults in the young adults group. Um, in the young adult services. And of wow. course, just logistically, it's near impossible to have proper oversight and discipling. Right. So there was essentially none from my experience. We're talking newlyweds in running um, life groups with other newlyweds. And mm-hmm. so the blind leading the blind mm-hmm. here, nobody mm-hmm. really knew what they were doing. We ended up deciding to live with another couple who were newlyweds. Okay. Horrible idea, right? I can see your face already. You're like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> they can't Lord. see my face on the Lindsay, podcast. Lindsay, <laughs> where were you when I needed you? Okay. So all four of us end up renting a house together and we're sharing it because we think we're doing community. Yeah. We think it's, we're, think we're, we're living acts, Saving man. Money. We're living acts. Like <laughs> we're it. We're the real deal. So we're, and it was, it really wasn't in an arrogant way though. We were just like, this would be good, right? Like there's pros to this. And there were some, there were, they were minimal. Um, we had only been married for a year. They literally, this was their first house as a couple. Mm-hmm. So that, um, opened up the door to some issues and they also ended up getting pregnant really oh, quickly, accidentally. Yeah. So they had a surprise. And, um, at that time we were like, well, we already think you're too messy. So we really don't <laughs> want to add a newborn to the mix. We're not going to be able to handle it. Um, and so we're like, we need to just, you know, cut this and it's not working. Um, they were very upset by that. And it was interesting mm. because at that same time frame, seminary had come into the mix okay. of I'm going to start in the fall. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had this, we had this crossroads of, are we going to kind of be loyal to this agreement that we made in this couple? And we just had this feeling of this is not right. And this mm-hmm. is not where we should be. And almost this kind of feeling of you need to flee, like you need to get out yeah. of here. And Ultimately, we did. So we ended up, it was, it's a horrible, like it could still make us tear up because it was a hard loss yes. in our lives. We very much still care about this couple. Um, they ended up moving forward with a different group situation instead. And they did wind up in a legitimate cult. And they have since come out of it and they are very angry atheists. Yeah. Um, 
So talk about, and we were instead living on the seminary campus. And, and that's the more common story. Yeah. Right? It, the, 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 the most common story is you come out of a new religious movement or a cult and you're going to reject the truth claims of every worldview. Yes. Uh, because you were lied to for so long mm. and you were abused so with hurt. scripture. Mm-hmm. Scripture was used to defend what was happening to you. Mm. And um, there's pain that has to be overcome and there's other things that, um, and so it's, I wouldn't say it's easier to just be atheists, but um, it's safer because you're not going to be hurt mm-hmm. by another fake religion. Mm-hmm. And and it, it breaks my heart that there are so many people that have had that happen to them mm-hmm. and um, won't even give Christianity a second look because they are so hurt and so damaged, rightfully so, they're hurt because they were taken advantage of and lied to. Um, And that's where the gentleness and respect aspect of defending Christianity really sets us apart or should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It should set Christianity apart. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And in some cases, it hasn't, and it's made things worse. But on the whole... My hope is that people who are coming from cults or new religious movements or who are even still embedded in in those kinds of worldviews will either hear our conversation or um, read something and, and, and be sparked to determine whether or not what they're in and what they're hearing is true. The unfortunate side of that is they're probably not going to while they're in. Mm-hmm. And so when they come out they're going to probably not attend church. So they're going to live solo and they're probably, they've been rejected by the people they're leaving because once you leave a cult or a new religious Mm -hmm. movement, most of the time your family abandons you. Mm -hmm. um, Or the only time they will talk to you is when they're trying to proselytize you and bring you back into the fold. And, and so it's easier for those ties to just be lost forever. But then who do they come to at that point? And um, it is more likely than not that they will just be atheists mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and how can Christians not only be aware of that, but how can we come alongside people who have suffered so tremendously? Not necessarily with only the conversion in mind, like I'm going to be their friend because I'm going to convert them. Um, that's <laughs> not a great way to start a relationship, no. um, but just to be a good human and to say, you have suffered. I would love to just be your friend and walk through this with you. Mm-hmm. How can I help you? Want to go to coffee once a week? Want to, you know, whatever it is, um, I could take care of your kids and you can go out on date night and try to reconnect after this. Or um, if you need to go to therapy, I'll watch your kids for you. Whatever it is that we can do as Christians to just support people who are transitioning from this really brutal situation and, and moving them forward so that they can live without suffering for eternity, like for mm-hmm. the, the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might naturally roll into a conversation about Christianity or alternatively, they will see how you live and um, your own life is an apologetic mm-hmm. and people um, outside of the faith are watching how you live and how you live out scripture. And do you really think it's true? Because if you really think it's true, it's going to transform your life. 
is your life transformed or are you acting like you were before you were a Christian? And, and if you're not transformed, you're sending the wrong apologetic message. But if you are, they will notice. And those conversations may take years to develop, but that's why it's so important to just develop a relationship, be friends and, and, and be there for them through all of the ups and downs, Mm -hmm. understanding that, um, you may never see a conversion, but you might. Mm-hmm. And um, they really just need somebody to be with them. Right. And hopefully minimally, we'll see some healing. Healing. Healing is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so easy when you have put yourself in a situation where no one is around you and you're, you're an island and right. you're not giving access to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think we need to recognize that without relationship, healing is really difficult. It is. It is very difficult. And this is where many of you who are listening, um, if this resonates for your life personally, you have had an experience where you have been mistreated. You've had a religious abuse experience, whether it's a cult or an unhealthy religious experience, anywhere on that spectrum, as I like to call it. It's so hard to know if you can trust anyone mm. and who to trust. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest barrier yeah. to being able to heal is who can I trust? And so a part of what I usually recommend is if you are in a position to seek a professional support person, that can be a good yes. entry point um, versus choosing a friend in a different environment. Yes. Um Two points I wanted to make from what you were just talking about. The first one is the example I just told about Michael and myself. I told that because I want to use that as an example of what can happen without the apologetic component Mm -hmm. on the Mm -hmm. intellectual side Mm -hmm. is we're Christian, we're baptized, we're going to a Christian church, we're in a Christian young adult group, and yet look at what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, we almost wound up in something and we still were in something that wasn't ideal, but we almost wound up in something that could have been detrimental. So I could have actually been... Re- re-victimized mm. because I couldn't I couldn't recognize mm-hmm. what was wrong. I hadn't studied the real money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hadn't studied the truth to be able to recognize what was false. Yes. And so the way that apologetics has helped me to heal is that I can look back and know what was right and what was wrong mm-hmm. about the group I came out of, about in my unhealthy religious experience. I can see the difference. And I'm equipped now and I no longer have to be afraid Mm -hmm. because I'll know who I can trust and who I can't by asking them some questions. Mm -hmm. So I'm not afraid to walk into any church or any small group or talk to any person because I don't need to be anymore because I know Mm. I'm going to recognize the counterfeit because I know Mm -hmm. it's real. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Asking questions is such a good thing. Um, Jesus asked questions. He was an apologist to ask Dr. Grotheis. Um, he, you know, Jesus was arguably one of the first apologists, if not the first apologist. Um, and, and he was leading people to himself, mm-hmm. you know, speaking his own truth, which don't take too hard, like too long trying to wrap your brain around it. Cause <laughs> your brain just won't work that way. Um, but he asked questions and he led people to the, literally led people to the truth by asking them questions. Mm-hmm. And, and that was working their intellect as well, because a lot of times they, these were not educated people mm-hmm. that he was speaking with. They were people, some of them were, but many of them were not educated. And, um, 
in order to, to bring them to himself, he was asking them pointed questions. What do you think about that? And, and, and how do you, how do you know this is true or, or whatever it might be? He asked lots of questions. He hardly ever answered mm-hmm. a question, um, without a question. That was, right. that was, and, and in some ways, God, if I'm being honest with you, that's a little annoying, but <laughs> as someone who's been to law school, I understand the Socratic method and, and why that, that is a good way to learn because it really is forcing you to think, think about things and, um, make it your own. And if you haven't made it your own, then you're more likely to just listen. And then maybe it's not going to transform your life. And when we're talking about the transfer transformation evidence that occurs with apologetics, I mean, Paul is probably scripturally the, the best known apologist mm-hmm. and, and he just lived his life and right. he was, he was living his life faithfully. And you could see this very clear transformation between a guy who was watching Stephen get stoned to now, you know, road to Damascus and he's had this, you know, life changing conversion. Um, and, and it really changed his life, mm-hmm. but he still cared deeply about people. And, um, he, you can read this in, in the epistles, his, his deep caring for the people that he was writing to, you know, he's even, you know, when he's suffering in prison, he's still writing to the people, encouraging them in their faith. And I'm like, whoa, dude, you're, mm-hmm. you're suffering. You're literally suffering, suffering for your beliefs, but you believe it so solidly. And he is a great apologetic. If you're, if you're trying to defend your faith, point to Paul, because Paul is a great example of somebody who truly believed it. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he suffered greatly for it. And, and the disciples are too. Um, but I really, I really think that if we can just bring, you know, bridge the gap between the heart and the mind and show how apologetics and, and, and making defense for Christianity can be so helpful in, in not just helping us intellectualize faith, but helping us feel it too. Because I think if our hearts are hardened, um, and in some ways you could look at, Saul before he became Paul and say his heart was hardened. Um, if our hearts are hardened because of hurt or, um, being, you know, abused, it's going to be harder for us to just intellectualize things. Um, when, if our hearts are just dead, um, because we're just so hurt. Um, and thankfully there's room for both when we're sharing the gospel and, and it doesn't have to be just well, I know it's true because X and X historian mentioned Jesus in their manuscripts. So we know Jesus was a real person. Well, yes, that is true. Right. And my response to you, if I'm someone who's hurt and has come out of something mm. that was traumatic, would be, okay, so he's not a good person and I don't care. I don't want anything to do with him. That yeah. would be my answer. So See, you convinced me into being an atheist. And that, or you convinced me. What's the word where you hate God? What is that one? I can never remember what it's called. Or you believe there's a God, but you hate Agnostic? Him. No, I think it starts with an M. Oh. Dr. G, if you're listening to this, you're like, I know what it is. Um, but there's a word for that, where you believe there's a God, oh. but you want nothing to do okay. with him. You kind of would back me into that mm. corner with that argument. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't use that argument a lot. So yeah. It's good. <laughs> I try to meet people where they are rather than bringing out all of the arguments I learned in seminary. <laughs> the degree was worth it. Um, thank you, Denver Seminary. However... Um, a lot of what I do as an apologist is just talking to people about their stories and 
and finding out what they what they need. Misotheism. Oh, misotheism. There <laughs> you, you go. Believe in God, but you want nothing to do with Him. Yeah. Oh, that's that's mm. sad. That is not an effective, no, helpful method. No, it just hurts people. You're right. It doesn't mm-hmm. take into account the woundedness mm-hmm. that has happened. Mm-hmm. So we need to love the person mm-hmm. first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And this is where it just breaks my heart because Scripture literally says that. Mm. Scripture tells us to love one another, to love our mm. neighbors. It tells us to do that. Yes. Jesus says to do that. That is our greatest commandment. And yet people have been told such horrible things mm. that if we quote Scripture, they want to turn away. But yet Scripture is giving them what they actually right. need. It's actually offering them the love mm-hmm. that they've missed and that they haven't been given. Mm-hmm. And that is another way in which the area of apologetics, when we look at it in this broader manner that you've talked about, it really offers healing for people. Yes. I think you're right. Um, and I, and I think what's, what's really important to, to consider as Christians um, is, is just the humanity aspect of it. It's like, when you're loving your neighbor and I mean, I live in a HOA community and we get the emails. (laughs) Um, Your car has been parked in the street for more than 12 hours. You need to move it or we'll have it towed. Right. Um, Or your grass is too long Mm -hmm. or your trash can is visible from the street or all of these rules. And it's not taking into account the person, Mm -hmm. right? We're fortunate if we don't, you know, we just don't, I mean, we didn't mow our grass, okay? There's nothing going on in our lives that's really preventing us from mowing the lawn. We just didn't, haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about the widow down the street who is still trying to support herself and she can't get out there and push the mower and hasn't gotten around to hiring someone to do it for her? Um, that's, that's different. And how can we love her well? without just enforcing this rule and giving her a fine, mm-hmm. it's saying, how can I serve you? How can I help you? Um, how can I meet you where you're at? So when we're doing apologetics, it's not just the, you need to be a Christian. You're going to go burn in hell for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. It's you can find so much peace in Christianity mm-hmm. and, and Christianity offers you this redemptive story that is offered by no other worldview no other no other creator in any other worldview came down to earth to save us and actually did it they didn't die for our sins and then be resurrected that that didn't happen in any other worldview mm-hmm. and that's a really important thing to remember is that God loved us so much that he sent his only son so that we could literally live with him forever. And there's no other worldview that offers that. Mm-hmm. And, and so we cannot, it's so easy to judge Christianity on the basis of Christians. Mm-hmm. But that rejects the idea that Christians are human and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all sin. And if we're making judgments about truth based on the actions of people, mm-hmm. truth is, is going to fail. If we're making judgments on truth based on the actions of God 
and who he says in scripture, then truth will up and, and, and he will be proclaimed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there is redemption and peace and joy and love and all of those things that can be lost when we're damaged. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, 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 it hurts me that so many are unable to come to that mm-hmm. after having an experience in a cult or, um, it, it, it hurts mm-hmm. because it does feel in a sense that our hands are tied and, um, God, how are you going to do this for them? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not just as easy as snapping our fingers and saying, get out of you, get out of it. You're free now. Be mm-hmm. a happy, free person. Right. You're out of the cult. Yay, you. Let's go be Christians together and go to church every Sunday and, and read the same scripture that they used in your cult. But now you know why it's true. And we have to step back and say, it's not that easy. There are components to humanity mm-hmm. that, that, that complicate it a little mm-hmm. bit more than that. And, and the therapy thing, um, is, uh, encourage people to get therapy um, if if they need it because therapy can be transformative in a way that I might not be able to help you through. Mm -hmm. I might be able to hear your story and sympathize with you, um, but I might not know which questions to ask or ask or how to lead you down the path of of healing, um, whereas a therapist has literally been trained to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I... I see the benefits so much in therapy, and I also see our culture have this um, tug and pull against, yes, we should all get therapy, or no, we shouldn't get therapy, and and what should we do, and, and judgment is passed sometimes, but please know that God uses people in their fields to help, and therapists can be so helpful in, in overcoming some of this damage that has undoubtedly been done. Um, at the hands of people claiming to have truth who don't. Mm-hmm. And even some Christians, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And and that's why it's so important to, to separate Christians from Christianity, so to speak, because mm-hmm. sometimes we will be Christianity will be judged on our behavior as, as Christians and and that's not always a true indication of mm-hmm. what Christianity should be. And what the true picture of Christ is. Right. Absolutely. There's, if we're talking about true Christianity, so not the counterfeit that many of us were sold, not the false teaching and the deceit, but true Christianity. Mm -hmm. Those of us who are living and walking out true Christianity, if we, if we were able to fully be like Christ, Mm -hmm. we would not need Christ to begin with. Correct. So we're going to fall short. Yes, 100%. That's going to happen. Yes. That's why we needed a Savior. Mm. Mm. And God knew it. Mm. And that's hard. That's hard for someone who's healing because yes. they're so vulnerable and raw and tender to being very easily hurt again. Yes. And that takes time. And so I would like to leave us with this message of Christ does offer that, though. Mm. Mm-hmm. When all of us don't measure up, there is someone who does. Mm. Yeah, and I think your your story is a beautiful example of coming full circle. Mm. And there are other stories like yours that will be heard 
through your podcast and should be spread far and wide because what you're doing is so important. And I think people hear the word cult and they're like, I would never fall for that. And, oh, it's not really, it's not really a thing I need to be worried about. It doesn't exist really. That's, you know, that's only in California or that's only, you know, in Clearwater, Florida or whatever. Pick your favorite cult. But it's easy to fall for falsehood when you're offered community and you're offered that's where your family is or and you're told it's truth and you just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important that we hear stories like yours because, um, one, we, we put a face to it mm-hmm. and we, we can see that it's real. Um, but two, it helps us relate to people who've also come out of that when maybe we wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm grateful that you have courage um, to do this. Because um, your story will resonate and other people who will be on your podcast, their stories will resonate, Um, but it takes courage and um, an amount of bravery that I'm not sure I would have if I were in your situation. Um, So I'm hoping that um, people will hear you and, and share you, even if it's not their story, so that people in their circles will hear it. I'm not doing it for me. <laughs> and that's why it works. So I pray that you're right. It's, it's why it works. Mm-hmm. Um, God uses us where he wants to use us, whether we want to do it sometimes or not. Mm-hmm. Um, five months ago, didn't have any idea I was going to be a children's pastor and love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so God will use you if not more, because it's not for you. It's for his glory. And and so do it for his glory and give him all the credit, just like in Ephesians, give him all the credit mm-hmm. and keep doing it. And, and I believe that people's lives will be changed, if not just mine. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine doing anything else. It's that interesting, like, kind of catch-22 sort of thing of, this is the last thing in the world I would have ever chosen Mm. to do, and yet I'm like, I couldn't do anything Mm. else. Thankfully, you have an amazing husband. Oh, good heavens. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Let's talk about Michael for the next hour. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, had I married any of those other people Mm -hmm. I had dated, Mm -hmm. the amount of support this requires is immeasurable also how god has protected you even when you may not have known that he was protecting you Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 (laughs) i didn't get betrothed to that man when i was eight years old i mean think about it a lot of other things could have happened i was in public school i wasn't in bright i wasn't homeschooled that opened my eyes to some options there there are different things in my life where i can look back and say that was a blessing school public school component we were the only two who were public school of my siblings in it yeah because we were in a different state so all these different things yes looking back so Well, I may edit this out. I may not. And I've just been privy to our little side conversation. But Lindsay, for anyone who is listening and is hearing about apologetics for the first time yes. and wanting to become more equipped to know their faith, to know Christianity or mm-hmm. to investigate Christianity, yep. do you have a resource that you would recommend? And I'll link some options below mm-hmm. too. 
Yeah, so I think I already mentioned it. Cold case Christianity is like the number one go go to that Jay and I will recommend mm-hmm. to people. Uh, if you're looking for a little bit more philosophy, um, but not too much philosophy, um, On Guard by William Lane Craig is a good primer to um, kind of the idea of philosophical apologetics, and and he talks about philosophers. So if you're into that and you want to learn more about apologetics, mm-hmm. it's like high school, college level. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's accessible. Um, Dr. Groteis wrote a great book, Christian Apologetics, mm-hmm. uh, second edition coming out soon. Um, so, but that's a brick. So mm-hmm. if you're, <laughs> if you're new to apologetics, not necessarily sure that that's, you know, the number one go-to, um, but definitely maybe your second apologetics book mm-hmm. because it's, there's everything in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lee Strobel is a great resource. Um, I, I find him to be uh, quite accessible and easy to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got a lot of short resources and he's got some longer resources and, and there's a movie um, the case for Christ it's on Netflix. So that's, if you just want a quick uh, view of apologetics and watch a pretty good movie at the same time, um, that's always a great option too. And then of course, Mama Bear Apologetics. I would be remiss if I didn't recommend my own stuff. Um, <laughs> I have written a lot on our website about world religion in particular. And, and I'm excited that we're, we're moving forward. We're, we just finished book two. So, um, I'm, I did not co-author that one. Um, but now we can work on other projects that we sort of put on the back burner mm-hmm. to finish the book. Um, but yeah, so. I recommend all of those things and, and, and primarily read the word, read a valid translation of scripture and one that you understand, um, so that you can understand, um, what truth is and, and, and know it falsity when you see it. Mm-hmm. And I would add, make it a study Bible. Oh, like <laughs> I was thinking that was just obvious. You're like, that's just assumed, right? It's not, Lindsay. It's, it's not. not. You have to go way to one plus one equals yeah, two and read for people the footnotes. Like read the footnotes in mm-hmm. your Bible because a lot of times that actually provides you with apologetics when you don't even realize it. Um, and it's an easy, get yourself a good study Bible. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, study Bible, study Bible. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolutely. This was fun.